Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens for our 50th episode. And uh, in celebration tonight, we're going to be welcoming a special guest as the Baltimore Orioles Director of Player Development, Matt Blood, is joining us on the show. I'll introduce Matt in a moment, but first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So as I mentioned, uh, for our 50th episode here on Baltimore Sports and Life Radio, we're joined by a special guest as Matt Blood, the Orioles Director of Player Development, uh, was kind enough to appear tonight. Matt, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you on, Matt. So kind of, you know, it's been an interesting year, uh, certainly for the Orioles. You've been here almost two years now. But with the 2020 season being knocked out, you are just now getting an opportunity to watch everyone in the system play a full minor league season. What's been the most exciting thing about having this season and for having baseball back this year? Well, I think that just that, you know, having baseball back, you know, seeing players out on the field, uh, competing, accumulating stats, going through ups and downs, you know, achieving goals, being moved up levels. uh, All these things are uh, very exciting, uh, you know, for us, especially with where our organization is, you know, in our, in our timeline. Um, how difficult has this season been as far as like assignments go and promotions, like you talked about, given missing 2020 season and reshuffling of affiliates, how has that been for, uh, from the organization's perspective? Uh, you know, not too difficult. Uh, I think we had a decent idea of where we wanted players to start, to start the season. Uh, we that, you know, many of them would perform well and we could move them up fairly quickly. And I think that's what we saw happen. Uh, and, and that's been uh, really exciting. Uh, I, I think the most difficult thing across the industry is just the amount of, of injuries that have occurred. Uh, I think it's somewhat expected, you know, through not having the workload build up from last season. So that is one thing we're having to manage uh, in that and not really having a full draft last year. So not not having a stable of players in the uh, DL, you know, waiting to be moved up. So I think that's something that the industry is dealing with, but I think we as an organization uh, have had, have had it pretty good so far. That's cool. And for all of us, you know, armchair prognosticators and minor league analysts, what, what have you, it's easy for us to just look at these box scores at the end of every night and kind of look at the stats of these guys to figure out, you know, how good they're doing. If we think, oh, they need to move this guy up. But obviously you have more information than us. But uh, how much weight does a team put on like stats compared to more detailed stack cast information? Excuse me, like exit velocity, launch angle, all that good stuff. Well, first thing I do is I check your Twitter and make, you know, if you guys are saying we should move them up, then I start thinking about it. You know, that's that's my number one checkpoint but to be honest you guys are on it a lot of times you know i see i see your tweets and your information and i'm like yeah these guys are uh thinking along the same way we are but we we use all sorts of information uh to uh get us to where we're comfortable but it's it's very much a a process driven um logic almost almost an algorithm type of thing that tells us okay this player is ready to go. And then you've got to look and make sure he's got reps available and all these types of things so that they can, you know, get the work they need to get. But 
you know, ultimately what we want to do is push players to levels where they're not the best player in the league, where uh, they are going to be challenged, where they look around and, you know, there are players better than them on the field. And, and that pushes them, exposes them, and, you know, growth happens in that, in that time. And so that, that's essentially the goal that we want to achieve by getting players moved up in time so they can, they can experience these struggles, catch up to the level, start excelling, and then move up again. Nice. Uh, you've mentioned in some other interviews and articles about how during the pandemic, you guys held these book clubs, team dinners over Zoom, helped helped a lot of guys connect that way off the field. Um, the, the growth mindset, reading that novel, that took me back. I remember one of my college classes, like that was our textbook, <laughs> that, that novel there. And so that whole idea of growing players off the field during the pandemic um, and creating this culture within the organization down the farm system. Can you just kind of talk about the kind of culture that you are, you guys are building down there in the farm and how important is that to the future of the organization as a whole? I think we lost uh, Matt. We might've lost Matt. <laughs> we'll wait for eagerly anticipate his answer to this question. <laughs> we did lose Matt on our end. So we'll uh, hopefully have him back on here in a moment, but uh, good insight from him so far. Uh, just about sort of the Orioles uh, organization philosophy. And we'll have uh, some questions for him coming up. Uh, about more specific players, and now Matt has rejoined us. So, yeah. sorry about that. Uh, no yeah. So the our culture in the uh, in the minor leagues and, and what we did over COVID, you know, it, it, guys uh, bought into it. The culture that we were trying to create, uh, you know, through holding these these book clubs, we we read four or five books. I had some really in de- in depth conversations uh, that you know created some some psychological safety as well as uh, some common lang going to use and, and some, some the foundation we want to hold ourselves accountable to. And cause we're really big on, um, on collaboration and we're really big on communication uh, and, and you can't have these things without trust. Right. And then we're also really big on, on challenging practice and not being afraid to fail in practice and not being afraid to be exposed in order for a player to feel comfortable with that. He's got to trust you and understand uh, you know, why you're doing these things. And that was a big impetus behind um, all of this, you know, and, and I, I think it was, it was productive. I, th- I think we're seeing uh, the culture at the, at the, all the affiliates uh, is very healthy. Uh, it, it's very uh, much, Iron sharpens iron. That was from you know the the the, the legacy book that we read uh, about the All Blacks, and where they're pushing each other to get better. They're going to compete with each other. They're going to challenge each other, but they're also going to pull for each other. And I think we're seeing that you know all throughout the system. You know, a lot of that's thanks to the talent that Michael Elias you know in that group has brought in. We've we've just raised the floor of our system so much higher than it used to be, and through that we now have fierce competitions up and down uh, the, the, uh, the org and it's really healthy and the players see it that way. And it's really awesome. Yeah. We've absolutely noticed that. And along those same lines, how important is, is it for these guys to, you know, win together and play together as they move up? You know, obviously we saw Jordan Westbrook move up to Aberdeen. Now Gunners rejoined him. How important is that to just get that camaraderie and win together? I think it's important. I think it's important for them to go through this process together because, I mean, I think we all hope that, you know, this core makes it to the major leagues and is, is highly successful. And, you know, to do it as a group, I, I think uh, would be would be awesome. And I, I think they see it that way, too. That That's their goal. Cool. All right. Well, now we're going to get to more like player specific questions. And I have one right up here is uh, we can't start with anyone other than Adley Rutschman. And we see what he brings to the field when he's in a batter's box and when he's behind a plate throwing runners out. But can you talk about what he brings to the organization behind the scenes? So Adley, you know, he's, he's a special talent, special breed. You've heard all these things. You know, he brings a very steady confidence and presence to, you know, what he does on a daily basis. He's got his routine. Uh, he's – doesn't change based on if he was over four one night or, you know, four for four with a game winning home run. He's the same guy. He's pulling for his teammates. You know, he's just 
he's just kind of one of a kind and and he's he's uber talented obviously on the field uh but it, it's not it's not just by happenstance i mean this kid works harder than anyone else and he is willing to be challenged and to be exposed just like we talked about earlier and uh that's why he's he's great and, and going to be great yeah we've heard eric longenhagen and um, ben Badler, he praised upon him in the last week alone. So excited to see him as he continues to move up. And how about Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall when he's when he's healthy? They've pitched incredibly well this season. What were some of the goals you had for these two in 2021? And just how special are these two arms? Well, they're really special arms. And uh, they're great kids. And they're high, highly competitive as well uh, with each other. And obviously, you know, the opponents, um, you know, electric stuff, you know, dominant major league caliber stuff. And, you know, the goal is just for them to continue to get their reps, you know, to be a major leaguer, there's a fine line between being a great major leaguer and, and being an up and down major leaguer, you know, there's not a huge difference. And really the difference is, is, is consistency of execution, you know, and these guys just need to hone that in. And when they get to the point where they are consistently executing their elite stuff, you know, and they're going to be ready to go. One of the things we talked about a while on this show with D.L. Hall before he went on the uh, injured list recently was that he seems like he's a more well-rounded pitcher now than he used to be. Uh, the walks were cut back a little bit this year, and he was generating far more ground balls than usual. What type of adjustments did he make leading into this season? Yeah, D.L. had a really good offseason where uh, he, he put in – uh, a, a lot of work was very focused. He, he stayed away from home and went went and really dove into his offseason program. And I think it really paid off for him. Uh, his pitches are sharper. He's got better feel for them. He's locating them better, uh, and just everything is ticked up, you know. And and he's a great athlete on the mound. He competes, and and for him, it's very similar to, to Grayson. You know, it's just finding that consistency outing to outing, inning to inning, pitch to pitch. Uh, so moving to the hitter side of things, Gunnar Henderson, what's the process like from your end when – how do you handle a player like Gunnar Henderson who comes out of the gate so hot this season in Delmarva? He gets promoted to Aberdeen, and we've seen – I think he still just has one hit in a couple of games, only a handful of games, so you know, no worries there yet. But the walk numbers have been great. Seems He's got more walks and games played right now. Um, so he seems like he's settling in a little bit now, but how do you help him as an organization get over that initial hump and set him up for success uh, for, the, for the rest of the year here? Well, what Gunnar is going through right now is just great for his development. I mean, you got to think about it. He literally just turned 20 years old. Mm-hmm. This is his first full season of professional baseball since we didn't have any baseball last year. Uh, and he's in high A, right? And now it's time for him to get exposed, right? We were like we were talking about. Like this is where he's gonna have a huge learning curve, and and he already has, and he will continue to do so. Now this kid is uh, an incredibly hard worker. He's very confident, and he wants to do extremely well. And he's gonna be just fine. Uh, you know, he was in it was in the uh, alternate site last summer, and he. Uh, same thing happened last summer. You know, for the first few weeks, it was a really big struggle for him because he's facing basically major league pitching. You know, he's 19 years old and really never played higher than the GCL, and he's facing major leaguers, right? And after three or four weeks, he started to kind of figure it out and was one of the better players there. And, you know, he went to major league spring training this year and got a lot of great exposure there. So this guy, uh, he – He's had a little bit of bad luck. He's he's swung and missed a little bit. He's just turned 20. Like this, in my opinion, is exactly what he needs uh, in order to learn, okay, now I gotta make some adjustments and figure this out. And then, you know, I'll start to excel and then move on to the next level. Yeah, I was at the game Saturday and he stung a ball the opposite field, but it just happened to be right at the left fielder. But his teammate, who I mentioned earlier, Jordan Westberg. He's really heated up. I mentioned it in an article I wrote today how if, if you go in like nine or ten game increments, he started slow, hitting around 200, then he was like 240, and now I think he's like 380. 
over his last nine or 10 games. Um, what kind of adjustments has he made in time moving up a level? You know, it's similar. It's a similar deal. I mean, they move up a level. I, I think the pitching in high A is really good this year, especially the, the arms that we've been facing. You know, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a shock to the system, you know, to go up there, a new level, different arms, they're pitching you different. They got better stuff. Uh, and, and Jordan, you know, he's a really smart, uh, really kid. And, uh, you know, he, he realized, okay, I got to make a couple adjustments. They worked hard with the hitting coach there and he started to make those adjustments. You know, he's a little more on time for the pitches he needs to hit. He's, he's getting his barrel out front a little more and he's making harder contact. You know, he's, he's always going to be a, uh, control the strike zone guy. He's going to take his walks. And, you know, when you see him start to drive balls and have extra base hits, that's when you know that he's he's starting to figure it out a little bit. So it's the same thing, like great development experience for him. He just happens to be two and a half years older than Gunner, right? And he's been through the SEC. So Gunner hasn't had that experience where Jordan has. So it's going to probably happen a little easier and a little quicker for Jordan. But, you know, those two are like like little brother, big brother, and uh, the the rivalry they have is so healthy, and they're going to help each other, you know, all the way through. Moving up the system now, uh, Jemai Jones at Norfolk is putting in what might be his best offensive season uh, in his professional career so far. And we've heard a lot about his development, not just on offense, but also defensively as he adjusts to second base more. Where is he in his development, you know, beyond the pure numbers of what he's doing at the plate? Um, as far as his hitting goes and then as far as the defense at second base goes? Yeah, the hitting, uh, like you said, has been uh, has been really productive this year. You know, the injury was a little bit of a setback to his timeline, I believe. Uh, <clears throat> for him, the biggest thing is just getting major league ready, I think, at second base. You know, so I, I think before he gets that call, <clears throat> they just want to <clears> – <throat> you know, get him a little more ready for second base at the major league level. So for us on the outside, defense is a really hard thing to judge because it's not like you can just go to baseball savant or fan graphs and pull up a bunch of numbers like you can for the majors. Uh, But internally, how do you evaluate defense? Do you have numbers that you look at? Do you rely on reports from your coaching staffs or is it maybe a mixture of the two? It's a mix of the two. It's video work, talking with coaches. It's, it's looking at at some metric type stuff, uh, and then just for him, like I said, the injury I think set him back a little bit, and um, you know he just needs a little more time there. And, and whenever the time's right, you know he, he's going to get his chance for sure. He's such a great kid, hard worker, and uh, you know the bat, like you said, has been has been very productive. Sticking with the middle infield, we've talked about Gunner, Westberg, Jemai Jones. There's probably 15 guys I feel like we could ask you about, just middle infielders. It's such a deep position, one that we've enjoyed watching. But one name in particular, Joey Ortiz, a guy who, you know, we knew about. We watched him in the lower levels of the minors, but that position was so deep, he wasn't really high on our list of guys to watch out for in 2021. But then your praise for Joey Ortiz was very high all leading up to this season. And it made me stop and look at, okay, what is it about Joey Ortiz then that he's so high on him? I'm going to pay attention, and I did, and I've loved what I've watched. And he's become, we joked about it before we came on air, he's become my prospect crush of this season. Love watching this kid play, especially defense, shortstop up in Bowie. Um, but what made you believe that the offensive breakout was there uh, before he went on the IL, unfortunately, which ho- hopefully yeah. he's Yeah, well, you know, you and I are, are uh, in the same boat. Uh, I, I love watching this kid play. You know, when he got hurt, it was, it was uh, crushing for me, not – not, not necessarily for any other reason other than I just love watching him play. And I was like, well, dang, I'm not going to get to watch him play anymore this season, you know, and, and that was, that was uh, frustrating, but um, he has always been a very good defensive infielder, just, just incredibly instinctive, uh, fast hands, great hands, really strong arm, accurate, and just makes the plays. You know, and that in itself is highly valuable. The bat was was behind. Like, let's just be honest. Like, the bat was behind. Well, over um, 
last summer, he uh, put in a lot of work, and then he came to Instructional League, and it was improved. He he had added some some strength. The bat was improved. Uh, we gave him some some more direction. He went home, worked incredibly hard at it. Is very meticulous about his food, his workout routine. He showed up to spring training, and had added fantastic strength to his body and his swing, and his exit velocities were were uh, impressively improved in spring training. And I already knew he could hit. Like, he could always hit. He just couldn't hit. He couldn't do much damage, right? Like, he, he had good plate discipline. He could make contact, but it just wasn't a whole lot of damage. Well, now he's doing damage, like like significant damage, not just like some damage, like significant, like bats coming off, balls coming off the bat over 110 miles an hour, uh, which he could never sniff before. And you add that with the fact that he's a great defender and you say, well, wait a minute, like we might actually have something really real here. And he went out and played very well in Aberdeen, moved up quickly and played even better in Bowie. And it makes you wonder, like this guy could be a, he already, we already know he's a legitimate shortstop and now he's got power that tends to play for a while, you know, at, at the big league level. That's exciting. That's very exciting. I have a question from a Twitter follower at David underscore esports on Twitter. Uh, he asks, we're seeing the typical process with some of the young pitchers making it to the majors. You know, you have your success, struggles that may require some trips back to the minors and then hopefully make adjustments to be a successful big league pitcher. We're seeing this with Kramer, Aiken, and Zimmerman now, and we'll see it with others soon. What is the rule of thumb for how long this process takes to determine if he will be successful or not over the long haul. The rule of thumb for a pitcher? Oh, well, a lot goes into it. You know, it depends on their profile, what role they're going to – what role they're going to have at the major league level. Are they a starter? You know, are they they a mid-inning reliever? Are they a a closer type? You know, I I think we try and develop as many multiple-inning pitchers as possible – Right. But I, I think you got to be able to throw major league caliber pitches first and foremost. You know, you, you got to have enough stuff to survive. And then uh, you got to have a delivery uh, that allows you to maintain health over a season. And you've also got to have a delivery that allows you to repeat and consistently execute your your stuff right and I think the lower levels you may see some guys with great stuff but can't control it or execute it consistently or vice versa you may see guys who can who can execute but they don't have good stuff right and you know both those guys may never get out of a ball right if one doesn't get better stuff you know he may not have much success any further than that, or if one can't locate at all, he maybe will never have any success out of a ball. So um, those things have to come together. You got to be able to do both and uh, do it over a long period of time and then do it when the pressure's on. Uh, Cause we play in a, we play in a division that, you know, there's some pretty high pressure teams and stadiums and situations. So that, that, that comes into, play as well. So I think all those things, and for some guys, it takes uh, more time than others. But so there's really no one cookie cut way. There's not, there's not one timeline to say, I think everyone's a little different. One guy who has been having a lot of success so far in the upper levels of the minors, and this has been one of my favorite storylines to watch this season are the four arms that the Orioles got in that Dylan Bundy trade from the angels. You were also pretty outspoken about Kyle Bradish, uh, mentioned that you guys and the Orioles seem to be much higher on him than kind of industry consensus seemed to have been. Uh, what impressed you so much about Bradish going into the season and what kind of pitcher do you envision him developing into at the next level? Well, I mean, I saw him at the alternate site and, you know, the aptitude that he showed to make the quick adjustments we wanted him to make to allow his stuff to play up even more. And he did that. The velocity was there. The competitiveness was there. 
and the way the hitters swaying at, at the pitches that, that they saw at the alternate site, they would come back and be like, whoa, like this guy is the hardest guy to hit of all the guys we have. It's because of his angle and the, the, the way his pitches move. And that was enough for me to say, okay, we might have, you know, something a little better than what I was thinking because I was seeing where he was ranked in the, in the prospects rankings. And I was like, well, this guy's way better than that. Uh, and, uh, you know, seeing him, in double A and then now in triple A, you know, I, I, you've heard me say like there with, with Grayson and DL. And, and what I mean is that I, I think he's a starting pitching prospect. That's, that's going to be in the rotation in Baltimore. Just like, I think those other two guys are, you know, who's, who's one, who's two, who's three, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out later, but they're all that type of prospect. And that, that's what I mean when I say he's right there with those guys. Nice. Love to hear that. Um, can you touch on the rest of the group as well? We saw Kyle Branovich. Uh, I've mentioned before, I'm glad I get to cheer for him instead of watching him just annihilate my alma mater every year when he was in college. But you guys pushed him up to Bowie. He's pitched pretty well. Isaac Matson seems like he's right there on becoming a, a regular bullpen arm. And Zach Peake is also becoming one of my prospect crushes. I feel like he's flying way under the radar there in Delmarva. Uh, how excited should Orioles fans be about this entire group and their potential? Uh, I'm very excited. I mean, Kyle Bradish alone should have you excited, right? And then you've also got, like you said, Isaac Matson, who's uh, got major league value out of the bullpen, and he's a like a fantastic kid as well, or fantastic guy, I should say. He's 26 years old. Uh, so, um, you know, he's great for our organization. And then, and then Bronovich, yeah, he's moved quick to double A. He can pitch. He's got great secondary stuff. And, you know, he's right on track. And then peak, really good stuff too. We're working on the consistency, you know, just like most A-ball pitchers. And uh, he's he's got, you know, exciting exciting characteristics as well. So the fact that you're able to get four guys uh, in that trade, all of them are are helping the system, and you know, could be major league serious major league assets is fan- fantastic movements It's what I meant earlier by, by Mike Elias raising the floor of the system. Uh, you know, we added four legitimate arms, you know, to, to what we had in the minor leagues. And, and now every, it just raises up the whole level of, of the system. And that's uh, he's done that over and over with, you know, a few trades with the angels and then some other trades too, you know, Rockies and Mets and Marlins, but, you know, through that, we, we've we just upscaled the entire system, and that's been really exciting to see. Yes, it is. Um, where is Michael Bauman at in his development at the moment? He dominated in 2019 with Bowie, but the injury in 2020 delayed his start this year, and we've seen him look really great in a few starts at Bowie, and then he'll have a tough outing and seem like he's kind of gone back a little bit. And then just based on the broadcast reportings we get, the velocity seems to come and go. At one point I heard that he was touching 96, 97, and other times it seems like it's in the low 90s. Uh, what is the goal moving forward with him this season? Yeah, he was really good at alternate site before the injury, really good. Uh, and he was uh, – he's shown flashes of that this year. I, I think we just want to get him back to feeling healthy and comfortable. You know, I think that's that's really the goal. Because when he is healthy and comfortable, he is a big imposing force on the mound. You know, just his presence alone and plus stuff, pitchability. Uh, you know, if he's healthy and and comfortable, then he's right up there with those guys too. You know, another another starting pitcher uh, for the rotation in Baltimore. Uh, but that's where we have to get him. We have to get him to that to that health and and comfort level with his delivery and with his arm. So just to follow up on that, what sort of work goes in between outings to kind of help with that health and comfortable factor you're talking about? What sort of work does the staff do with him uh, on those off days just to get his delivery more consistent and kind of help him feel comfortable again? Well, that that would be in uh, Justin Ramsey's secret sauce. You know, you'd have to, you'd have to see if, if Justin Ramsey was, was going to give you the ingredients, you know, the family ingredients on that. But uh, it, he just does a great job with with him and a lot of those pitchers there. Uh, and it's just different things depending on what he needs and 
and uh, you know what the goals are at, at the time. But uh, you know, I, I really can't get into specifics here, but it, it would it's very individualized. So you touched on this earlier, kind of going in a different direction now, and that was the shortened draft last year. Uh, the result is that after the fifth round, a lot of players who normally would have been drafted were still available as free agents. The Orioles were able to pick some up, and I know one guy that we've been particularly excited about this year has been J.D. Mundy. Uh, but looking at that group as a whole, what has the process been like to work them into the system, and what are you seeing from them results-wise that you like? Yeah, you treat them just like a drafted player. They all would have been drafted players. You know, you hear them say undrafted free agent. It's kind of unfair to the players. I mean, they all would have been drafted. Uh, we saw them. We saw it as an opportunity to acquire talent. You know, in a in a in a to beat some other clubs in acquiring talent. Because when you have a draft, like every every thirty picks or so, uh, in that in that scenario, if we could convince them to come with us, then we could get them. Right. And we were really excited about Brandon Young. Uh, and he's been he's been great. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's got the size, the delivery, the stuff. And that was a, a great pickup for us. Uh, and then, like you said, Monday, uh, this guy rakes. And it's been the case since the first day he took live batting practice with us in, in uh, spring training. And. It's he's such an awesome kid and so much fun to be around. And he just steps in the box and he's a presence. And, you know, T.T. Bowens, I think if if you check out what he's been doing uh, recently, he is trying to he's trying to get on J.D.'s uh, coattails a little bit. They're they're the exact same age. Uh, you know, T.T. got out of extended spring training a little late and J.D. was the one who went and then J.D. gets moved up and T.T. gets moved up and. You know, he didn't. TT hasn't really skipped a beat. So, those guys have, have been great. And you know, Dylan Harris uh, has been a nice add too. He, he gets on base. He plays nice defense. Center fielder runs the base as well. Uh, and you know, I, I would say those guys uh, specifically have have been great free ads for the organization. We could have just punted and said, "Oh, we're good," like some organizations did. Uh, but no, we weren't. We weren't satisfied, and we went out and recruited these guys essentially to come play for us talking about this level of raising the bar especially at the lower levels of the minor league system and talking about these like delmarva arms can we go back to the rule five minor league phase of the rule five draft last year for a second and just talk about ignacio feliz who seems to be doing just pitching lights out in delmarva i love the personality out there in the field the stuff looks good. He's still a very, very young guy. He's been the Orioles are his third organization now. He's still only, I think, twenty-one years old. Um, what have you liked out of Feliz down there in Delmarva? Everything you just said. He's young. He's got good stuff. He competes. Pitchability. You know what's not to like. You know he's he's been he's been very successful there. Uh, the arms in Delmarva have pitched well, and uh, you know I, I I think it's probably right to say that some of them deserve a promotion at some point, you know, so uh, that, that group has, has been outstanding. And, and uh, Ignacio has been one of the better ones of that group. And now that uh, the, I guess it's now FCL used to be GCL. Now that that, that play is getting started and DSL is right around the corner. How excited should Orioles fans be about the first two big international classes that were just added to the system and, what should we be paying attention to on the stat line for these players that are so young? We should be excited that we now are tapping into that, that pipeline that we really haven't had. You know, there's a lot of really good players that come out of Latin America and our farm system needs that. You know, if we, if we want to compete with, uh, you know, other clubs and we want to be an elite farm system and talent pipeline, then we need those types of players. And Kobe Perez has done a great job of going out and finding them. And so the fact that we have, I don't, I don't know, 90% Latin American players in the FCL right now, like that's a, that's really exciting, you know, for us. Uh, now it's, it's a little different brand of baseball than maybe in the past when you had college seniors, 22, 23 year olds playing down there. Uh, and now you've got, 18, 19-year-old Latin American players who haven't played a whole lot of baseball games. So it's a different style of baseball, but they're learning a ton. 
And uh, the coaching staff down there has done a great job with them. Uh, you know, I, I I think some some exciting guys to keep an eye on down there right now are uh, a couple guys we got in a trade, uh, Michelle Desson and Isaac DeLeon. Both of those guys have been impressive for me. Uh, Luis Gonzalez, a strong left-handed, you know, power bat. Uh, Luis Ortiz, left-handed pitcher. Uh, he's he's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Davis Tavares, a little bit more advanced outfielder. Uh, so, you know, I, those are some guys that I think in the in the short term, uh, you know, keep an eye on and, and, and see where they land. I think the guys that we called up from uh, the FCL to Delmarva have done great. Gene Carmona. Yorkas Landi Alvarez, they both uh, played very well for Delmarva. And, you know, we hope to just continue to see that trend. Uh, and just as a – oh, sorry, Nick. I was just going to say as a follow-up, uh, are there any other guys in FCL currently that are knocking on the door to Delmarva? Like Kobe Mayo seems like he got off to a hot start first few games here. Any, yeah, it's uh, great any to see Kobe. Yeah, it's great to see Kobe playing uh, and – and playing well. I mean, he, you know, he's probably going to get his feet underneath him here for a while. I don't think there's any reason to, for us to, you know, try to rush him. Uh, let, let's let him play there for a while. But, um, you know, th- there's a host of guys down there that, that all, you know, keep playing well. They might get it. They might get a shot at, at some point. Uh, but, you know, right now our, our team in Delmarva is position player wise, it's fairly young. And uh, those guys are going to need some time you know, there to, to keep playing. Looking specifically at Kobe Mayo for a second, uh, the tool, the two tools we often talk about Mayo the most are his power and his arm strength in the field. Uh, what has your impression been of him in those areas? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the reason why I talk about him is because they're obvious. You no, know? I mean, he, he's got serious raw power. He's a big, strong kid. Uh, kind of reminds you of like Troy Gloss when he was really young. And uh, he's got a huge arm. Like you could say 80 if you wanted, you know, 70, 70 arm. And, uh, you know, he just needs to play and, and you know, go through the system. And, you know, there's there's a lot to be excited about with him. It's just now it's just a matter of he just got out of high school and now it's a matter of just getting professional reps. So we're just days away from the 2021 MLB draft back to 20 rounds at least. So, you know, not the 40 rounds anymore, but a lot more than five players joining the organization this year. Um, What is the process like for these guys after the draft is complete? And when you guys get control of them, get them in the organization, what is it like for them, the process like for them uh, up to draft day from when they finally take the field on opening day, their opening day, wherever that may be? Yeah, this year is going to be different than any other year. Uh, because of how late the draft is. This is the, the latest it's been since I've been in the industry. Uh, and this is also – this is the first time we've had a player cap limit of 180. So essentially the first game that they play for us, they will count against the 180, right? So that has to go into play as well. Uh, but right now they're they're all either going to workouts or just trying to stay in shape, uh, waiting for their phone to ring, uh, really their agent's phone to ring, uh, to hear kind of where they might be being thought about by by the clubs, and then you know they talk in signability and all these things, uh, and then draft day comes and you know they ultimately come to some sort of an agreement with the club if they are going to get drafted, they get drafted. Ideally, they sign fairly quickly, uh, and then they go down to the uh, the complex for us in Florida and go through their physicals and sign and, and all these things. And assuming all that goes smooth, you know, then they, they get on the field. And uh, either just in practice settings this year or in games, you know, it's going to just depend on how the numbers work out and where they are. But you know, I, I wouldn't imagine that being the case until August with the, the where the draft is and all the things that have to go into play. So the season will be over by September. So there's not going to be a big window of time for for them to play. So it might be more onboarding type of things, like uh, almost like orientation style uh, development for them, you know, once they arrive. 
So another uh, big event coming up this week is the Futures game. And uh, Marcos Duplan was selected, uh, having an excellent year at Norfolk, but I think it was a pleasant surprise for many to see him on that list. Uh, first off, what was your thoughts on him getting that Futures game selection, and how has he developed this year as a pitcher? Yeah, I was excited for him. I think it's a testament to the work he's put in and the work our staff has, has done with him. And, you know, it's nice to have another – prospect you know I, I think it just shows the depth of our system with you know a, a guy like that uh getting to go to the the futures game and that's just fantastic for us so uh you know good for him and uh we're all excited you know that he's getting this opportunity so matt we really appreciate your time today uh nick bob any thoughts here for matt no, I, I love watching these guys on a nightly basis. I, kudos to you, the, the whole staff over there. I, I started really diving into this system probably five, six years ago. Uh, and I, I can tell you that, yeah, this is uh, every single night is fun to watch. When five, six years ago, uh, it was tough to find some uh, entertaining baseball down there. Uh, and yeah, so just kudos to you all. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what these guys do in the future. Well, you guys do a great job uh, covering it. I, I'll tell you that. I, I really enjoy reading the things you guys put out, and I think your tweets are right on, and you, you do a, a great job uh, with this coverage. And I appreciate you you having me on. You know, I, th- I agree with you. I think it is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, thank goodness for MILB TV. Uh, and you can – I don't know. It's a lot of nights I'm sitting at home. I've got a computer, an iPad, a phone. I'm watching three or four games all at the same time. Try not to miss at bats. Try not to miss pitches, and uh, my kids and wife think I'm crazy sometimes. But um, you're right; it's a lot of fun. Well, Matt, thank you, know, you so much for your time there. today, and thank you for joining <laughs> us for this episode. Um, we really appreciate it. All right, thank you, guys. That was Matt Blood, the director right, of player Develop- development for the Orioles. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit of coverage now with uh, some of the things that have happened at the major league level, starting with. Um, Spencer Watkins' debut uh, out in Los Angeles over the weekend. He came out of the bullpen against the Angels, had a scoreless outing. Now, listeners may remember that Watkins was on the show back in February. Uh, We really enjoyed talking to him, and he really did earn that promotion with good numbers at uh, Norfolk. So, Bob, I'll start with you on this. Obviously, the Orioles have had to shuffle through a lot of pitchers this season, but Watkins earns that call of the majors. Um, I guess you were happy for him, obviously, but what was your impression of his outing? So I think uh, Bob is dealing with some technical difficulties here. So Nick, Yeah, no, uh, look, Watkins' story is exactly why I love minor league baseball. He's a 33-round draft pick out of the D2 ranks, pitched in minor league baseball since 2014. He never got that call to the big leagues. Uh, I know after news broke of him getting that call up, uh, a lot of Tigers fans and Tigers accounts were super high on him. They they uh, high for the kind of person that he is out there in the field, and it just speaks to kind of what player, what kind of player he is, uh, what kind of person he is. Um, pitched really well in Norfolk. I loved getting to watch his MLB mm-hmm. debut, uh, and I f- I'm happy for him. Could not be more happy for for anybody. Watching him break down on that Zoom call with the Orioles was a good reminder for me. Um, that you know, minor league baseball is a lot more than just those top prospects that we all talk about. Yes, Ali's great, Grayson's great, Dale Hall is great. We just talked about all those guys with Matt Blood, uh, but there are a lot of guys like Spencer Watkins down in the minor leagues too. And you know, the term roster fodder gets thrown around a lot, but these are guys who sacrifice a lot to get out there and live their dream. And now Spencer Watkins got three outs; he can forever call himself a major leaguer. It's something that. I think all of us, the three of us, I'm sure, we put on Little League uniforms we dreamed about. You know, I dreamed about being Ken Griffey Jr., but you know, <laughs> Spencer Watkins gets to live out that dream now, and he gets to join a pretty small fraternity, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, and that's not an easy situation to come into. Uh, tight game. The Angels, we know what damage that lineup can do when they're on, and they were certainly on against the Orioles over the weekend. To me, he just showed a lot of poise on the mound. Uh, just coming into that type of situation, especially with it being on the road, um, I thought was a really big factor. And this is not a guy who, you know, he has had some relief work, but he's primarily been a starter in his career. So that couldn't have been, a, you know, a really easy transition to make, but he made it. Yeah. And I thought about maybe it being in LA, it was probably maybe a better thing for him out in the West coast. I think he lives out in Arizona. When we interviewed him before the season started, he was out there in Arizona. So maybe he had the more family out there watching that night. So you could feel a little bit more comfortable, but 
Definitely cool. We'll see how long he stays up there, but I, I hope it's for a, at least a little while. Orioles need some innings, so there's your guy. Yeah, certainly in need of innings help. And one of the guys that they have turned to of late has been Alexander Wells, who appeared in a couple of outings for the Orioles before being optioned back down to Norfolk. We've talked about Wells a lot on this show. Uh, left-handed pitcher out of Australia who has generally been successful in the minor leagues by showing excellent command. Uh, fastball velocity generally tops out in the low 90s. Um, his outings in the majors came against two tough lineups, Toronto and Houston. And I thought that he looked good in both of them. Uh, so, Nick, what was your impression of Wells uh, in his time in the majors that we saw him? So I never thought that we would be talking about Alexander Wells and his MLB debut right now in early July. Uh, that's for sure. Um, at the spring oblique injury, disastrous, disastrous start to AAA. But he was lights out in June. Uh, and now we got to watch him in an Orioles uniform. And I think we saw the same Alex Wells that we've seen in the minor leagues. He's, he is an extreme fly ball pitcher. Uh, he's not going to get a lot of ground balls, and he's not going to strike a lot of guys out. Uh, but he doesn't walk anybody. Uh, he did walk four guys in you know, four and two-thirds innings. But I've, I've heard a lot this year about the – there's a growing gap between AAA and the main, and the main leagues now, ever growing, it seems like. And so I, I'm not surprised to see a guy like Wells in your MLB debut, your, your first couple of innings, be a little shaky like that. And, and that's fine. Um, you know, Matt Bledge talked about that. You want to be challenged and struggle a little bit. That's good for development. But he was optioned right back down to Norfolk and put in a really good outing on Sunday. So didn't walk anybody, had a couple of strikeouts. So I think hopefully he's back up in the major league soon. And I think next year when we do our, our you know preseason prediction shows and everything that we're debating, is Alex Wells a guy that's going to be that, you know, maybe a back-end starter or the long man out of the bullpen that the Orioles have needed for a long time. And instead of getting some washed-up veteran who has a 9.0 ERA, maybe that guy could be Alex Wells next year. And then then we'll, we'll see what happens as more pitching comes up through the pipeline. Yeah, My so- internet still sucks, but uh, <laughs> I agree with Nick. Uh, I think it was a matter of maybe a little bit of nerves and a, a little bit of, you know, then we hear in the past how the minor league ball and the major league baseball are a little bit different, but then they maybe they made them the same after uh, 2019. But uh, it was a learning experience. And like Nick said, he'll go back down. He'll learn from what he experienced, and he will hopefully get another chance soon to make some starts because somebody's got to look at the Orioles starting rotation, and they're all ERAs in the seventh. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity here. Yeah, and I wouldn't, although, you know, he walked more batters than what we're used to seeing. That was uncharacteristic. I wouldn't read too much into that for a couple of reasons. One of them is that, you know, limited number of innings, small sample size. We don't know if he was pitching in a six-inning start, what those walk totals would have looked like. And the other thing, too, is consider the lineups he's facing. If I'm making my major league debut, the last thing I want to do is leave a 91-mile-an-hour fastball at the top of the strike zone for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., yeah, so if he's going to like have to work the corners a little bit, uh, maybe he doesn't get some close calls. Maybe, you know, balls that hitters at AAA level swing right through, uh, major league hitters are fouling off. So those are just part of the adjustments I think he's going to have to make. Yeah, I, and I should just do my apology now. I don't think I ever did. I think I, we were texting about that, and I said, I owe Alex Wells a huge apology because I pretty personally – I was not excited at all at all about Alex Wells coming into the season. I thought there were way too many pitchers, new pitchers in this system, guys that were surpassing him talent-wise, and it just felt like he, he's not a high strikeout guy. And being a, an extreme flyball pitcher at Camden Yards it, is going to be his death blow. Uh, and, you know, maybe there's something there. I don't know. He's at least been serviceable, and he's been fantastic in AAA. So I apologize to to the Aussie. So, Bob, now that you're back on, uh, I will circle back to Spencer Watkins for a moment uh, because you didn't get a chance to weigh in there just on his debut. And, you know, I think that we were all happy for him as a guy that, you know, we've been following this year, seeing the work that he's put in at AAA because he really did earn that promotion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was loving it. I stayed up and watched that game, and uh, I was super happy for him. You could see how happy he was and hearing his story all week about how he was thought he was done with baseball and, and yet the Orioles came knocking. He, he pitched his way. He earned that, you know, major league debut. He pitched great with triple a Norfolk and he had a great outing where he, he had him three up, three down in the three batters he faced. So I loved it. And I hope he sticks around for a while and hopefully we can talk to him about it at some point. 
Yeah, absolutely. So as we always do on this show, we're going to take a moment to highlight a player that is impressing us that was outside of our top 30 prospect list at the start of the year. And it could be an individual game. It could be how they played over the last seven to 10 days. Just anything that jumps out at us. Um, we want to take you know a few minutes to recognize those players. So we're actually going to start off with Bob, who has a guy that was in the top 30, but on the lower end and has been uh, scrutinized a, quite a bit this year. And that's Garrett Stallings, who after uh, some rough outings, uh, seem, seems to be turning a corner. Yeah, you know, I think this is cheating a little bit because he might have been on our top 30 if he had been acquired before we did it. And now I can't remember if he even was on I might be really cheating because I did not double check if he was on our list. But uh, if he was, it was at the bottom. But I just wanted to shout him out because he had had such a rough season so far with giving up the long ball. But just looking at his numbers more, and especially because he had a pretty good week, he had a six-inning start on Tuesday where he gave up three runs, and one of those was, of course, a home run. He's given up 11 of those on the season over 54 innings. But those 54 innings lead the minor league organization, and he came in and pitched seven innings of relief uh, after John Means had two innings and a rehab start, and I believe that is the first, that is the longest outing by an Orioles minor league pitcher this year, and he only gave up one run, no home runs. And if you look at his FIP and XFIP, his ERA is like 4.83 or 4.86, and his FIP is 4.88, but his XFIP, his expected fielding independent pitching, is just three point. It's in the low threes. It's like a, a run and a half lower than his actual ERA. And if you look even further, his home run to fly ball percentage is like 36% when the league average at the major league level is typically between 13 and 14%. So you have to imagine that's just a ton of bad luck. Uh, he gives up, he gets ground balls more than 50% of the time. So it's just a matter of when they hit it in the air, it's going out of the park almost a third, more than a third, nearly a half of the time. And you got to think that can't be sustainable too long. So I am back on the Garrett Stallings bandwagon uh, because he doesn't walk anybody. He's striking out nearly nine per uh, nine per nine, nine per game. Uh, so yeah, uh, shout out to him. And I'm sorry that I ever got down on you, even though you never knew. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was tough because he came those first two starts or so he, he looked really good. Uh, and then it was just home runs, home runs, home runs, a lot of runs. Uh, but to expand it a little further, his last three starts, he had 19 innings pitch over his last three starts, only one walk, 18 strikeouts. Uh, all three were quality starts. And, and it is interesting to see a guy like Stalins go so deep into a game uh, while you see, you know, Grayson Rodriguez seems to have like that hard cap at like 65 pitches or so, maybe 70 pitches. Stalins, they're letting go and, and I guess work through that stuff in high A. He's a college guy. But this is his MLB or sorry, minor league debut. I mean, he did not pitch in 2020 uh, or 2019 after he was drafted. So this is his first professional action. And I think it just took him a little bit to settle in. And now we've seen him really start to hone in. Um, the last time looked really good. I got to watch that on Sunday. That was great to see. Uh, you know, it is I do feel like it is still hard to get a complete read on him, but He's got the rest of the year to figure it out. But I do think if he puts together three or four more start solid starts, like his last three starts, is that promotion to Bowie coming up soon? Like a Kyle Kyle Bronovich, Stalin's could be another guy who they, uh, I imagine, just maybe ease the pitch counts a little bit with him and let him go. And if he's ready, go ahead and just push him up to Double A. Yeah, when we've had you know heard feedback from our listeners about the Iglesias trade, I know that we were all you know, high on the deal at the time. And I, the thing I've always pointed to with Stallings and the reason why I like him as a prospect is that he does not walk anybody. And we've seen that trend continue this year and he's generating ground balls at such a high rate. I just think the key for him is really going to be seeing those home run numbers neutralize a little bit. Uh, You have to feel like at a certain point they're going to come down. And hopefully now this is that where we're going to start seeing more outings where he does not give up a home run those, you know, the home run, the fly ball rate drops and we see everything else, the ERA, the FIP, the XFIP drop with it because he has so much that he brings to the table as a pitcher with his command, his ability to generate ground balls and his, you know, ability to work deep into outings, which as we're seeing at the major league level this year is something that you need from your starters. Uh, even if you think you can only, you know, run them out there through the lineup three times, 
you got to make sure those five innings are great because as we're seeing the challenge with the Orioles this year, their starters aren't working deep enough in the games. So when I see a guy like Stallings working deep in the games at the high A level and doing it with such a consistent formula, it makes me excited. Yeah, all those trades. I mean, anyone we got from any of those trades, it, it's it's a win. The Orioles won all of those deals. Um, and Stallings is just another one of those. Um, I'm going to go mine, and I think Zach might have did this guy last week or the week before, but I'm putting him back on the list because he's been fantastic. It's T.T. Bowens down in Delmarva. Um, he was just named the Low A East Player of the Week this morning. He hit 545 with a 630 on-base percentage and three home runs for Delmarva. Sunday's game, he reached base in all six plate appearances. He was three for three. I believe they were all three singles, but and then he walked three times against Lynchburg. Uh, he was ice cold. Bob had him in his three up, three down in the cold section last week. And you get put in that section. It's they read it uh, clearly that uh, these guys are reading the stuff, and they get angry and they take their frustrations out and they're back on the hot list. I mean, he's he's got an 866 OPS now in the season, a 135 WRC plus. Uh, I thought he was intriguing after the Orioles picked him up after the draft just because of the power. But the first time I saw him step in a batter's box, I said, this this guy is, is a major league hitter. He's got that body type, and it just looks like there's a 500-foot home run ready to come out of the bat at any time. Uh, and if baseball doesn't work out, like he can play linebacker for the Ravens or running back. It, he's got great form. When when he rounds third base and takes the handoff from the third base coach every time, it's it's perfect form. Uh, so he's got multiple options he can pursue, but hopefully he stays uh, with this organization and, and keeps having a big rookie year. Yeah, I can't wait to find room for this player of the week to put on my shelves because, <laughs> man, he wasted no time from when I put him in that ice cold section. I know, obviously, it's, you know, it's the ebbs and flows of a minor league baseball season or any baseball season, but uh, he raised his average like 60 points and his OPS like 250 points in six games. So kudos to him. I hope he goes from here and J.D. Mundy will be in Bowie and he'll be in Aberdeen before too long. Yeah, we actually just heard Matt Blood uh, really compliment T.T. Bowen. So it certainly shows that he's on the organization's radar with the numbers that he's turning in. Uh, The points that I brought up when I talked about Bowen's in the segment a few episodes ago were, first of all, he does have a great baseball name, but he can connect on a home run, I think, unlike anybody in the system. There's only a handful of guys that when the ball leaves their bat, it leaves just that much authority. Like Nick said, every swing looks like it's going to be a 500-foot home run, and It's fun to watch when he's on, and he has been on lately. So my pick for this segment this week is Dustin Knight, the backflipping closer down at Norfolk. Uh, We finally were able to get video of him doing a backflip. I believe it was in one of his outings at Charlotte recently that we were able to get that. So that's on our social media. But Knight has converted both of his save opportunities in July. Um, And while the walks are a little bit high this year, higher than you would like to see out of the bullpen, Uh, He's also got an ERA of one over 18 innings with nine strikeouts. And the thing that I like about him is that he's able to come in for more than three outs. Uh, We've seen a couple of outings this season where he's come in for two innings uh, or for an inning plus. So, you know, as the Orioles kind of continue to work through options at the major league level with the rotation, the bullpen, I wonder if Knight continues on this track, you know, does he become a bullpen option at some point, but either way, uh, he's putting together a nice season down at Norfolk. Yeah, I just wanted to see the flip, and I, we got the flip. There it was. Um, so that was awesome to see. Uh, so many uh, of these other video feeds like MILB TV like, don't even show the actual action on the field, but like that's another discussion for another day. So shout out to Charlotte for showing us the flip. Um, but yeah, like he's 30 years old already, so not a prospect. I think he was in Mexico and Indie Ball in 2019. So it seemed like this guy was 2020, like should have honestly been the end of his career. Uh, that probably should have knocked him out, but he came back for another shot here with the Orioles and I love it. And I think the Orioles should reward him. I mean, what else, what, who else are you going to throw out there? Like Hunter Harvey's career. We were joking before he came on. I said, Hunter Harvey's career is over. Uh, Travis Lakins, his, his season's done. It seems like probably Tommy John surgery bound for him. Like who else do you have out of this bullpen? We got to see the cool story from Spencer Watkins make his MLB debut. So give Dustin Knight the opportunity. You know, it's um, watching Norfolk games. I mentioned also before we came on that Sean Armstrong and Fernando Abad, the, the tides keep sending them out there and they keep blowing these huge leads. And then Dustin Knight's tagged with coming in, cleaning up the mess and closing out the games. And he's done a fantastic job of it. So 
give me a, give me another reason to watch the Orioles Major League product, and it's I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's going to be Dustin Knight, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he ha- walks too many guys. He's 30 years old. His ERA is probably a fluke that he has right now, but who cares? Bring him up. You can bring Connor Wade up. You can bring Dustin Light up. Even if he only goes one-third of an inning or doesn't get in and out and gives up 10 runs, I want him to backflip before he leaves that mound because we need to see that in an Orioles uniform. Uh, bring him up immediately. Good call out, Zach. So our uh, we wanted to mention that our draft coverage is right around the corner here as day one of the MLB draft is on Sunday. Uh, we're planning some good stuff for the draft coverage this year. Our plan is to go live on Sunday night sometime after the Orioles make their pick at fifth overall uh, in the MLB draft. We'll have more details on our social media. So check out at BSL on the Verge uh, or at BSL on the Verge on Twitter for that information as we'll have more details between now and Sunday. We're also planning to do a draft special early in the week that will recap the draft because the Orioles have four of the first 76 picks this year. So particularly at the top of the draft, there's going to be a lot to discuss. But, you know, we're back to a larger draft this year. So there's a possibility that when we get into, you know, the middle of the top 10, even the top 10, maybe even somewhere between the 10th and the 20th round, there will be a couple of picks that intrigue us. So be sure to watch out for details on our draft coverage and to plan on tuning in Sunday night live or downloading our episode after it's recorded and listening to it wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, so, Bob, Nick, this, we'll take a quick moment here to discuss the draft, which we did a lot last week with Dr. Stephen Loftus. If you've not listened to that show already, please go back and listen to it. Uh, he, as usual, gave us a lot of great insight. After listening to Stephen talk last week, where do you think the Orioles are going to go with that fifth pick? And I'll start with Nick here. Or where they should go or where they will go, however you want to handle this. Uh I know the MLB draft, you know, you, you do not draft for need. Uh, so you, you just draft you know, best player available. But this organization needs a catcher. So I, I'm going to say catcher, whoever the highest rated catcher is. No, um, I just want, I just want to see <laughs> Orioles social media explode. Uh, I'm Khalil Watson all the way. I've been reading as much as I can about this kid. Steven hyped him up. I really do hope it's Khalil Watson. I know a lot of other Orioles fans have been vocal about wanting Khalil Watson as well. He's exciting. And I love what Steven said, but the ability of this organization to take a guy like Watson, a, a younger raw player like him, and their ability to mold him into, you know, the six, seven war a season player uh, instead of a guy like Kamar Rocker, who we don't really know who what Kamar Rocker's ceiling is. So, yeah, he could be pitching the major leagues after, you know, six months in the minor leagues. But how much more are you going to get out of him, to be totally honest? So I'm fine. If Jack Leiter is there, you take him. I don't care. I will be mad if they pass on Jack Leiter. Forget about Kamar Rocker. Give me Cleo Watson. And if you are going to go under slot, I am also on board the Colton Cowser train. But Watson's my number one guy. Yeah, I pretty much echo Nick's sentiments here. Khalil Watson has really grown on me, especially over the past two or three weeks, and especially after talking with Stephen Loftus last week. So I'm all aboard the Watson train as well, but I would not be upset with a Colton Cowser pick, a Brady House pick, and like Nick said, if Jack Leiter is there, you got to take him. I don't care. Could you imagine a top four pitching prospects of Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall, Kyle Bradish, and Jack Leiter? That would be outstanding. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I would be fine with Watson or House. Uh, if Leiter does fall, by all means, take him. But, you know, if the Orioles do decide to go under slot, I think Colton Cowser is a worthy pick. One thing I will say, though, is that, if the Orioles do go under slot on Sunday, it's going to be kind of a uh, stay tuned scenario for us because going under slot means you're spreading that value around and we're not going to know the Orioles full plans after this one pick. But regardless, we're going to have really good coverage in store for the draft this year. Uh, just want to take a quick moment here to thank our listeners uh, for helping us reach this milestone of episode 50. Nick, Bob and I are really appreciative of you being as loyal as you are watching, listening, engaging, and it's been fun to not only see our core listeners who have been with us since the beginning stick around, but to see that audience grow. Um, thank you to everyone at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, especially our owner, Chris Stoner, who has really encouraged us to keep going, uh, was really key last year in making so sure that we still had a show, even when there was no minor league season. And, you know, we really appreciate all of our BSL colleagues 
uh, not just on the website who contribute, but also as hosts here on Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. So please be sure to check out the podcast uh, there as well. So Nick, Bob, anything you want to say to listeners here before we sign off? You nailed it. I mean, yeah, (laughs) you nailed it. Sorry, Nick. Uh, Yeah. Bravo. Thank you for listening. This has been a dream come true for, at least for me, I'm sure for all of us to be able to do this every week and talk about the minor league. So thank you. Hopefully we continue to grow and you grow with us. Yeah, absolutely. love it. Love the social media following since the minor league season started has been huge. The people listening to the show, the numbers have been outstanding. I mean, we're five times a week, the number of, of listeners per week that we're getting, and it's always growing. So that's awesome to see. Um, we got the high, highest praise from Matt Blood. So uh, listen to Matt Blood and give us a follow and uh, check us out. Tell, tell your friends. Join the show. Well, thank you, Nick and Bob, for everything you, you do on the show each week. Yeah, I appreciate you guys as co-hosts. And for Bob Phelan and right Nick Stevens this week, uh, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds. <laughs>